0: and welcome to my podcast called Not the End of the World. And it's called Not the End of the World because it's not the end of the world this very second. It may not be the end of the world next week. In fact, the end of the world might be a process or maybe we're not exactly sure what it is. And maybe it just means lots of little changes or medium-sized changes or maybe or be one big change. And even after the end of the world, it might just be that things are very different. We don't know for sure. So I'm going to be talking about lots of things that come to mind on that kind of subject area. But before I get into Too much of that. I'm going to do a couple of shout-outs from Twitter. Not sure if you're on Twitter, but first of all, I'm going to mention Ewan Dalton, who keeps popping up on my timeline, and he's at Irish Rainforest. And he's author of best-selling and award-winning book, An Irish Atlantic Rainforest, which just sounds delicious, it really almost makes me cry, just the thought of an Irish Atlantic rainforest. I've got so many images coming to line just from that title. It's just so wild and, oh, I can almost feel the wind and the rain and the sea, and it's so fresh and invigorating. So there he is on Twitter, and he's doing loads of important communication, getting a message out there about the Irish Atlantic rainforest. And the next person I want to mention is Leo's Animal Planet, also on Twitter. He's at Leo's Animal Plan One. And Leo is a wow, a very brave child activist. And this is incredible because, you know, I've been aware of so many things since I was a child. Leo's really able to use that, in a way, that negative force and he's turning it around and become a force for good. And it looks like He's got his own podcast. So I'm just looking at his pinned tweet and it's about saving sharks. And wow, I mean, all species matter. Sharks really are just so vulnerable at the moment to all sorts of human predators, few <laughs> types of human predatory behaviors. So he's Leo's animal planet Is fighting to stop animal cruelty, which totally understand. And my view is, things like animal cruelty affect all of us. If that if it affects me, then it affects you, and it affects people who are not necessarily involved in it. But it affects all of us, and it would be really good to eradicate all. Animal cruelty. So thanks guys for all your work. And now I'm going to mention someone called Pam on Twitter. I think it's she or he is at Baltree, at B-A-L-T-R-E. And this person has a website called ddied.info forward services. And I came across and this website a long time ago and I promised I'd read something from the website because there's so much information there, really interesting information. Not the usual, if, if, if there is a usual, but just so many species that you can read about here. It's got bamboo, boabab trees, bogombo chinchona, deep seas one, deep seas two. That's just a selection of the posts. and. I can remember I came to this website and I think it was this creature here that I've got on the page in front of me that I just thought, God, i really got to come back to this and do it justice. And this is about the diabolical ironclad beetle. And yes, that's its real name. And there's a picture of it. And I just love that. The diabolical ironclad beetle. And so I think I'll read this whole page. Yes, it's not too long. There's even a YouTube video that goes with it. So it says, at last, something with a cool name. It sort of looks like a small tank, but it has a superpower to go with that name. Background. The diabolical ironclad beetle has a formal name, which is not quite so cool. No so Diabolical, which has the advantage of being the same all over the world. It is found in dry areas in western USA and relatively flat in profile. It is dark in color and about two centimeters long. Services and its superpower is the beetle's exoskeleton can withstand approximately 150 newtons of force, which is about 39 thousand times its body weight, which is more than twice as much as any other terrestrial beetle they tested. And if you were to extrapolate this toughness to a human scale, a person weighing 100 kilograms would have to be able to withstand a weight of 39,000 tons to deliver the same performance. To give you an idea, 39,000 tons is roughly equal to the curb weight of 2,000 F-150 pickup trucks. I don't know what an F-150 pickup truck is, but I think you get the idea. At first sight, the beetle's exoskeleton looks like bumpy, charred rock. Unlike most other beetles, which have functional wings on their backs, the ironclad is wingless. To remain safe from predators, it plays dead. Great idea. Relying on its heavy armor to make it vulnerable to predators. It is thought to have been a winning strategy as the lifespan of the ironclad is longer than other beetles in its weight class. The exoskeleton is so hard that entomologists have trouble pinning dead specimens to boards for museum and research purposes. But given the purpose of this site, what does it actually do for humans besides help to stabilize the ecosystem? The amazing resilience of the diabolical ironclad beetle is inspiring scientists to rethink how we make strong structures. It is being looked at as a model for changes in how we build bridges, vehicle and aircraft bodies, cladding for buildings and body armour. Please see the video below for an animated explanation of how the structure and function of the beetle is informing scientists to look at new ways of conceptualising and building structures. Finding solutions in nature to human problems is called biomimetics. Probably the best known example is Velcro. The inventor of Velcro, Georges de Mestral, Mestral, was intrigued by the microscopic structure of burrs that stuck to the fur of his dog. The outer surface features many projections that have tiny hooks in them. When the dog brushed by a plant, these hooks would cling onto its hairs and be carried away, along with being very difficult to remove. This observation led to De Mestral to consider how we could use this design solution to certain types of fastings, and the rest, as they say, is history. So yeah, that's about the diabolical ironclad beetle there on dedide.info, D-E-D-I-E. D- e so then back to not the end of the world. So I was going to talk on this episode and maybe rotate about land, water, air, biosphere, Anthropocene, those kind of topics to rotate them. I have noticed, maybe it's just in my threads on Twitter. That there's a lot about the things about doom, seems to be, seems to come up a lot and collapse. And there are some people who are, you know, really trying to deliver a message about what's happening in the world at the moment. And it is very interesting in many ways, because when you just take a step back and look at, Where we are as a species. And despite all our, you know, intelligence, we don't seem to be sure how to progress from this stage that we're in at the moment or and barely even recognize it, let alone make solutions happen that will actually change things. But anyway, back to land or talking about being a land species, I wanted to talk today about homo sapiens being a species that lives on land because to me that is significant in some ways. I was thinking about what it might be like to be a sea creature or an underwater creature and there are some people who live on the water and some people who spend a lot of their lives at sea, and there are some people who are very good at going underwater and spending time underwater. but of course, humans, we always have to come up for air. Having said that though, there are a lot of mammals who live at sea who which come to the surface for air. So whales and dolphins, for example. It's interesting that humans don't do that; we tend to breathe in quite frequently and breathe out quite frequently and you know it's something to be aware of we're told to or advised to breathe focus on your breath to relax and then you think oh well what is this what is this air that we're breathing and what are the parts and what does it break down to and it's just fascinating to understand that the you know the 21% oxygen is largely maintained by plant life or of various species someone's going to say that it's algae or plankton contributing to this yes i probably don't have the exact the exact percentages of where the oxygen comes from but the important thing is we are land creatures and we Breathe in the air to get oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide. And we also need food and shelter, and we all take up a space on our planet and we all consume resources that come from our planet, maybe from the land or maybe from. The sea or fresh water and so all that whole cycle is all interrelated we share the landmass on planet earth with so many amazing species and we've also unfortunately lost forever a number you know a large number of species that will never be brought back some of which are extinct before we even discover them and it's the goal and the aim of millions of people hopefully everyone to maintain as many species as possible whether it's plants or animal and that is what we call the biodiversity and that is healthy for it's essential it's not just healthy it's essential for life because imagine if which is what's happening if species are gradually lost and depleted, then this affects the whole ecosystem. And although some ecosystems are able to adapt to a certain extent, obviously there's an end point to how much adaptation can happen and ecosystems can become unbalanced and are balanced. You could say the ecosystem that's unbalanced at the moment is humans have unbalanced the whole planetary ecosystem as a whole because we're using more resources, whatever it is, even basic resources as a whole. This is humanity as a whole on Earth's population must the indicators show that the humans must be as in. There is no other way of looking at it, really. Once your once your background species extinction goes up, that is an indicator that humans are impacting on the Earth's biosphere. And some people will... I think they may be used to argue, but this—that is worth it for human because of human development. We think some people argue, "Oh, but humans have consciousness and intelligence, and that and species loss is the flip side to what humans can achieve, such as space exploration or you know some advances in." Science. For me, that doesn't really equate, that doesn't really round the square, the circle. Is that the phrase? Because to me, an advanced and intelligent species would never pact the species that we share planet Earth with. And we've already lost the megafauna. We've already lost. When I say lost, that's the wrong word. We've largely been responsible for the extinction of megafauna by hunting them to to extinction on the various land masses, and also in the ocean, and probably in fresh water as well. So there's an interesting phrase where. That I've heard people say, they you know they go, well, you know I got up today. I, I opened my front door. I looked outside, and really, yeah, it looks fine. The world's not ending. It's just completely fine. I mean, as I say, it's a process where you know we've lost so many species, and the problem is that trend is ongoing, and. It's actually accelerating. And all of the, you know, I was listening to, I caught a Radio program the other day. It was what's his name? Dude, from LBC, Nick Ferrari. He was saying, you know, about protests. And by the way, I pretty much support all peaceful protest. And I have noticed that all activists get a bad press from the media for however they put across their message. It's never quite, the message is quite right and the way they do it isn't quite right. But anyway, so someone's phoning in to speak to Nick Ferrari and she's saying that it is, it is important for people to protest. And Nick Ferrari saying, yeah, but it inconveniences people in their daily lives. And she's saying, she's still saying it's important. And then after she put the phone down, he said, Well, of course, we do have these problems, and we know that politicians are working on it, scientists are working on it, and ordinary people are working on it. Now, that is misinformation because what scientists are doing is just saying, just presenting data and They're finding data, presenting data and saying, this is what we need to do with the data. That then falls on pretty much deaf ears. What the politicians do is they say, yes, we understand we need to make changes. And I promise you, we are making the changes in 10 years. And that has been going on for, you know, decades and the changes required just don't happen and the trend is for actually for more biological degradation content that's increasing whereas protections overall and I mean net protections are not keeping up with the degre- level of degradation at all so and then the ordinary people, well, I mean, maybe ordinary people are, are doing more. Maybe that is something that has changed. The conversation has certainly picked up to a certain extent. I mean, I can remember some time ago feeling very, even more isolated and lonely. And at least there are a lot of people really trying to get the message out there. but. Unfortunately, the change. There's a failure to change at the moment. The change isn't happening quick enough. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that there there really isn't any. There are there are no policies in place really that will make enough of a change to rectify the the trend that's happening. At the moment. So, yeah, so this podcast is called Not the End of the World. And th- it kind of fascinates me in a way. And a lot of people, to be one of a number of people who are saying things as they are, saying it as it is, I think there is a feeling of powerlessness. There's a feeling of just perpetually shouting into a void. There's a feeling of inevitability I can sense from a lot of areas now of basically it's just wondering if how this is going to pan out next. I've seen the word Duma more than usual, which, and if I'm just going to find this quote about what a Duma is, because I just saw that recently. Bear with me, hopefully I can find it. Fuck, oh, oh, hold on, it was on my profile. Let me just go to Twitter. It was under this guy here. I think, yeah, Duma, it's got a definition from at Collapsed Logista, which I haven't heard of before I saw it. So Duma is an individual who using Interdisciplinary scientific knowledge is the first to recognize civilization's limits and life's finitude and sees current actions leading to a potential interconnected series of crises. Yeah. So that's kind of a maybe also like a late stage capitalism kind of scenario. Footprint is from the data is too high which means that we're really impacting negatively on our life support system. Our life support system being the biosphere. And there are all kinds of interesting ways to look at why we're doing that. And in many ways, it does seem to be a case of each person has a different belief and understanding. Well, it's, that seems to be when I talk to them. However, it's great that a lot of the lead experts are totally on the same page with this. So our ecological f- footprint, which is uh, i.e, how much we're using to sustain our lifestyle really has to decrease, and that is degrowth. So instead of needing as much material, Items, as we do at at the moment, we managed somehow to use a lot less and this can't be a little bit less. It is important to try to reduce our individual footprint, but I find personally, it's actually quite difficult to use less and be, you know, part of society because it's the way our society is built on consuming more, unless you live off-grid, for example. So, I mean, there's something that people are doing at the moment is to rewild gardens. And it's just important to try to become as sustainable as possible and maybe grow your own food, find a way to get your own energy. And in this way... We're not reliant on outside things outside of us, something as simple as going to a supermarket. You know, it is a positive step if we can grow our own food. You know, it might be good to be able to go to a local, a local grower, a local food grower and buy from them, or if you can walk there or bike there. That's the kind of thing that we're that it's important to to move towards not more industrialization and technology because the data shows that the technology although it has promised to use fewer resources actually uses more resources and i can cover that in another podcast but well that's nearly half an hour now so Thanks anyone for listening and please share, please follow me on other social media. I'm all doing all sorts of different things on different social medias because I enjoy social media and I enjoy understanding the ways that we can communicate the, any message to different people in different ways, basically. And this is a kind of technology that is actually useful. I like social using social media and using digital platforms to communicate a message this message is a good use of technology so thanks for listening and speak to you on the next one take care bye